welcome. I was trying to do a play on so long, farewell, Vita saying goodbye <laughs> with hellos, but it wasn't working out. There's a song that you learned in elementary school. Really? Yeah, where you have to say like hello in all the languages. I totally missed out. Did you not have like music classes? Like you don't know the 50 state song, you don't know a song about like, there are so many songs like that you just like sing as a kid in elementary school, like in third grade, how everyone universally plays the recorder. Ooh, that was fifth grade for us and I was awful. I couldn't play the flute. So in fourth grade, you get to choose your instrument and I chose flute and I was horrible at it. Should have gone with violin. Interesting. We didn't do actual instruments until high school. And I think in third grade, we were still doing, we didn't have our music slash counseling center open yet. That was built in fifth grade. So we still did music in classrooms. There were a lot more songs, but I don't know. Like I remember one about this guy named Joe who worked in a button factory. Oh, there's a lot of foot tapping with that one, isn't there? Yes. And yep. then- and then like Baby Shark, which like now got its revival through TikTok and toddlers. That was another camp song. What? I thought Baby Shark was new. Baby Shark is so old. Any child who's ever gone to any YMCA slash like camp has sung Baby Shark. I went to Girl Scout camp. We sang Girl Scout songs. Such as? Okay, the only ones that are coming to mind right now are not necessarily specifically Girl Scout songs, but they went with the cultural themes of the camp days that we had. So uh, a song in Swahili is coming to mind. Can you sing any of it for us? I'd rather not because can you, can you... I'm totally gonna get the words wrong now and I can, I'm just going with what I remember it sounded like. Can you go with the title? Ashe, I think. Okay. Welcome back to an Omnia Piranha. I'm Jay here with my co-host, Angela. Hey y'all. Did you start saying y'all before me or is this a thing because- I thought you started saying y'all because I said y'all. I said y'all since Hannah Montana. That's where I picked it up. Both of us were saying y'all before we met each other. Should we start off with a spelling bee question for you, Angela? <laughs> Why not? Bring it on. Anaphylaxis. Root origin of the word. <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. A-N-A-P-H-A-L-A-X-S-I-S? You added a few letters and forgot. <laughs> Did I put in too many A's? Yes. Yeah. So it is A-N-A-P-H-Y-L-A-X-I-S. -A oh. oh, see? Okay, I didn't necessarily know that because I am one of the worst spellers in the world, but visualizing it, I knew that it had a dip down. So obviously why? So I, sh I should have done that. As opposed to G or Q or P. Oh, well, wait. Oh, no, I guess I technically, I counted my dip down because I did, there was a P in anaphylaxis. Welp. After I've been schooled, schooled um, I think today... <laughs> Louder for the class? <laughs> Wait, what's this episode about again? Didn't you just pull notes up for it? Women's history. Welcome to our women's history <laughs> episode, everyone. Wait, you said that your voting rights notes were shorter. So I thought that's what you were doing because you said you're like, oh, I need 10 minutes for women's history, but the voting rights are done. Oh, Lord. Okay, never mind. <laughs> well, we, I, we could talk about whatever. Spoiler alert for whatever order these come out in. Okay, no, it's all right. We will, we will we in fact, speak about, about voting rights because I do have an outline for that and I have more of my information currently present on my laptop. So everyone, welcome to our non-partisan voting rights special episode. Yeah, that's why I was like, school, we're gonna educate. I was pulling. Okay, but then history. That's back. also why I started with, oh, the 50 states song. Oh. 
Subtlety is not our forte. You couldn't figure that out. It's real. It's really not. As Angel said, nonpartisan. I'm partisan. Angela can be as nonpartisan as she would like. Uh, Angela has to be nonpartisan given the field of work that she is in. Yes. But if I say partisan things, I don't want it to be a thing of like, it's speaking for both of us. Jay gets to be partisan. I get to be nonpartisan. Oh my God. You get to be devil's advocate as one could say. Ew. I hate that. I hate when people are like, let me just play devil's advocate for a second. That was my favorite phrase growing up. Now I've been informed white men use it far too often. So I stopped. Mm. But like as a child, I love that phrase and I'm annoyed when I found out the way it got ruined. Mm-hmm. Our usual education and advocacy disclaimer. Today we're not about labeling people as right, wrong, good, bad. We're not. No, I just wish that some people would pull out far more humanity, compassion, empathy, and logic in some places. But I'm not going to say that you are inherently evil or good or bad. Starting at the very beginning, the very basics of everything, voting starts at a very young age. Not in our democracy system, but you just do it as a kid. You vote for student body elections, who like teams and activities. It's very tribal and very like young starting. Well, I was going to say we're trained in the democratic process early, but yeah tribal works too. But it's not the democratic process. Like people were voting before like democracy existed. Yes. There must have been people before rise of the Greek, Latin, Babylonian empires who like had some sort of deciding way to make a decision collectively as people did live collectively. Yes. We yes. watched Eternals. We we did watch Eternals. We watched the one every Druk, Drake, whatever his name is. Droop. The one every, Drug. Druid? Yeah, him. Like, not get to step in while the Babylonians were screwing up their world because, like, he couldn't interfere. Mm-hmm. But, like, somehow they created a civilized society. And that wasn't just through killing. Although they were killing me, somehow they must have come together as a collective to make decisions. Yes. What are you thinking? Um, I'm just currently stuck on the visual image of fighting for dominance. But yes, I, I get it. Okay. Kind of, did you hear about voting? Was your family big on it as a child? I have a very short answer. My mother taught history what was called civics. I've cared and walked to her with the booth as like every year, every year of my entire life and got explained things, so yes. Yeah, I think overall it started really early for me. Most of, I can remember most of my family discussing politics and I think whatever, what, in the 2000 election, my mom and dad let me vote with them. So they created my own little voting card and then they would vote the way that I voted and I made my own voting card and gave it to my mom. And I was like, here, please vote for me. So so that was, I guess that's my first little intro into it and then in school obviously we've got like little elections and stuff like that but in eighth grade when we get more into u.s history we had a really great social studies teacher who was very very formative and adamant about the women's suffrage movement in the united states and so she very much like drilled it into us this is not a guaranteed right to you she's like many women had to fight to get this added to the u.s constitution when they were not originally included yeah so that was my thing oh and then when we were in high school same teacher she actually had us enrolled in california's amvr so that we were all like pre-registered what's that automatic vote automatic oh a avr automatic voter registration oh so yes i think when we were all 16 and 17 we were able to pre-register through one of like california's new laws so when we turned 18 we would automatically be added to the voter roll oh cool Mm -hmm. what was your first presidential election you voted in my first election was actually 2020 2016 
2016. There we go. Not which, 2020. Which is the first one you were eligible for? Um, was that 2016? It was 2012. How old were you in 2012? 18. But you turned 18 in 2012 or you were 18? Because since your birthday's, since voting is the first Tuesday of November, did you turn 18 in 2012? Math, people. 2012 minus 1993 gives up 19. Okay, so you were 18. In 2012, you would have been a senior in high school? Yeah, so when voting came around, it was I was actually in college. And so... Oh, yes, we're in the fall. Yeah, so one of the things that I didn't realize, uh, because no one talked about this, was that to vote, you have to be registered in the county that you are going to vote in. Unless it's mail-in. Unless it's mail-in. But at that point, like mail-in was something that you still had to go through and request and not something that was widely talked about. So I didn't know about it. Oh. So when I went to go vote, I wasn't registered in the county where we were attending college. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I couldn't vote. So yeah, so my first one was 2016. And how did that feel? Kind of hopeless, honestly. Like, I remember I wasn't even home on that day. And then when my mom realized that I wasn't going to be home and therefore couldn't vote, she made me change my flight to come home and vote. Didn't you graduate? You Yeah, were... but I was on, I was on like a trip. Oh, so she made you change your trip? Yeah. Because <laughs> I mean, honestly, like I, here's the thing. I was one of the people who initially thought like, oh, too big to fail. And then I was like, oh no, actually like this election is totally going to go to. And then- Is that nonpartisan? <laughs> that, that sounds complimentary. Not my job, not my problem. No. And then once I realized the election was going to go to, it's like, oh, okay, well, you know, it doesn't seem like there's anything really that can be done about it. So should I even be voting? So yeah. My first election was also the 2016 one. No, I didn't just miss 2012. I wasn't old enough in 2012, but like I turned 17 in 2012. What, what was happening? Oh, in 2016, I would have been 21. I would have just turned 21. So yeah, I was 17 for the 2012 election. But my first kind of real distinct memory of like when I started to care about like political elections was 2008, Obama's first term. My, similarly, my US history teacher was like very into it and we would talk about it. And also, wait, was Prop 8 or California? California? This was also the 2008 election. There were the first time where one of the other big measures getting passed in. Let me get this. California Prop. Yes, Proposition 8 was, was put to vote in 2008 and says, basically it was, do we support gay people getting married? Yes. But I remember the phrasing of it was a really odd thing. Cause I think if you voted no, you were supporting gay marriage. And if you voted yes, you were anti-gay marriage because it was one of those bills that had really weird phrasing on it. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, it passed by 52.24% of the vote. Unfortunately, I can't figure out what the prop actually said on Google. California ballot proposition, a state constitutional amendment intended to ban same-sex marriage. So if you were voting yes, you wanted to ban same-sex marriage. And if you voted no, you didn't. So I remember that was like a heavily one to talk about. Obviously on this podcast, non-partisanly, we are very pro-LGBTQIA plus affirming. Well, yeah, that's not non-partisan because that's just like a basic human issue. I don't think some of those mega church leaders would agree who donate their non-profit money to politics. Again, that is why we have a separation of church and state, which we need to enforce more clearly. Here, here. But yes, so 2008 was a big one. 2012, not so much because 
I think we all felt the current president was going to get a second term. Mm-hmm. And then 2016, first election, excited. I thought we were going to get our first woman president. That night, very slowly, it felt like watching paint dry kind of started draining and dripping in people's minds. I saw all of the excitement very slowly drain. And the next day was like, personally, for the people in my life who wanted the election to go the other way, it felt like there was a big funeral community kind of going on. Like, no one was saying anything, but everyone was very upset. Somber that night. Yeah, if you just want to understand anything about that, please see Ryan Murphy's American Horror Story election. And you'll, you'll pretty much get the gist of the general mm. feeling. Oh, great. Then... Thankfully, we voted in 2020. I voted, I did mail-in. I did mail-in physically in the mail because I beat the deadline. Did you do mail-in and walk up or did you do it in person? Um, I did mail-in, I brought it to a ballot box and then tracked it. Personally, 2020 turned out the way I wanted to, so much more thrilled. But in general, 2020, similarly to many issues, social, political, brought up a lot of things because of like the not leaving, a lot of issues around voting came up. I mean, 2016, we could even say that because to me, when I think of voting and voting rights, the first person I go to and think of is Stacey Abrams. I just listened to her on Dak Shepard's podcast talking about what happened in Georgia for her gubernatorial race. Was that 2018? Was Beto, against Ted Cruz. I don't know, ever since 2016, if I'm gonna be honest, I loved politics when I was at home and a kid. And then when President Barack Obama got in, I kind of coasted a lot because I was like, eh, he's who I wanted. After reading his memoir, really cool dude. 10 out of 10 recommend his memoir. <laughs> he s drops two F-bombs in there and it's his voice reading it in his book. Excellent. Which I love. So 10 out of 10 recommend A Promised Land by Barack Obama. And also reading, not belonging, shoot. Becoming. Becoming concurrently is very fun or very near in time. I liked both a lot. So during that period of Obama, I probably posted when I was still a minor. And so it, I didn't really kind of realize the impact till 2016. And then every election, whether it is a presidential and federal election or a gubernatorial one or senators, I've tried to keep myself a lot more aware. And I feel like a lot of people have as well. And unfortunately it shouldn't have taken what it did to get everyone on that level, but I'm glad we're all talking about it. Mm -hmm. But yes, when I think of voters, right, I think of Stacey Abrams. I'm not gonna lie. I'm not very familiar with Stacey Abrams. Are you aware of like her group in it? She ran for governor of Georgia in, um, okay, yeah, so 2018. So a lot of these people like Beto O'Rourke, Stacey Abrams kind of got their name in 2018 during the midterms of um, 45. Yes. 45's first term as Whoopi Goldberg would like to refer. Most recent past resident of the White House. She became really popular. She ran for governor in Georgia and her whole thing was about getting votes counted and reaching out to voters and communities who were normally ignored. Similarly to AOC in terms of people are like, they weren't going after people of color's votes, young people's votes, because they were like, why bother? And like, why reach out to them? It there were too many people given taken for granted, which is why people like Stacey Abrams are so important reaching out to minority communities. Or when you would see people, when AOC would walk on the street, people were like, oh, hey, I just voted for you. Like it's getting more people involved because only a small percentage of people of those young minorities were voting in the first place because they didn't see the point. Mm -hmm. And just to touch on voting statistics a little bit as well, generally only 61% of Americans vote in federal elections. Yeah, even in 2020, I think like a hundred billion. 
people still didn't vote. I think it was higher. It was the highest turnout ever. Mm -hmm. But still, it was not everyone voting. Yeah, I think that came everyone to like eligible. 67 or 68% of people voted. Which is way more way than more. normal, mm -hmm. but still. But we are still collectively averaging a D plus as a country. I don't like D pluses, but Stacey Abrams, she lost unfortunately in Georgia. But her thing after that was, I want to make sure all of the votes were counted. So they did the recounts, they put all the money towards it. And she's like, and I think her election particularly had some sketchy things about it because her competitor was the person in charge of like voter regulation at the time yes. like, and stuff. So like, of course the person doing the recounts is the person you're running against is the person in charge of how recounts are done. Mm -hmm. We're not, we're, it's on equal playing. You shouldn't be allowed to be in charge of the recount for your own election. Just full, Hot full take, stop. Angela. Like <laughs> that should just be a no brainer. Yeah. I don't understand why that's something that you would not automatically step back from and pass on to frankly as well. It's just like have like a bipartisan committee in each state set up for recounts. Here, here. But when she lost, she like did her whole like seven stages of grief. And then she started an organization that I feel I should know what it is. Stacey Abrams, Fair Fight. And off of her website says, we promote fair elections around the country, encourage voter participation in elections and educate voters about elections and their voting rights. So I was listening to her on Dak Shepard's podcast, Armchair Expert, and he, using the term Angel and I were despising earlier, devil's advocate at her. It's like, what about making voting more accessible to like the premises KKK members who stormed the Capitol? Like, do they deserve like accommodations so they can vote too? And what Stacey Abrams was saying was it should be universal to vote. I'm creating equal access to get the opportunity to vote. When it comes on educating and where I stand, I'm going to fight for those issues as well. But my calling to fight for fair and equal voter representation is universal. And without that, we can't have our democracy. Here, here. Yeah. And does this kind of bring us to like the meat of our episode? I mean, we're 30 minutes in. I'd hope we got into things now. For a breakdown, a refresher, how do our federal, let's go with the presidential elections work? Every four years on the first Tuesday of November, people go in person or prior mail in a ballot to cast their election which gives us the popular vote. And then that gets scrapped by the <laughs> electoral college vote. Who actually makes the decision for president? Which, I mean, here's the thing. I get how this was set up. How is it set up? So back in 17, what, 1788, when the US Constitution was adopted, it makes sense for the time because there was a continual influx of new immigrants into the country from various different places that were coming from various different governments. The US was setting up their own government, and so they wanted everyone to be involved, but also wanted to make sure in the event that people weren't as involved because they didn't know how to be involved, there was a safeguard there. And also the way that the electoral college was initially intended was that following the popular vote, if enough people in their area voted one way, they would have to swing in that direction. And in some states, they still honor that. However, in most, they do not. Is that what they say? Why the electoral college was founded? That is what, that is how I understood it. I will link the article that I read and everyone can take a stab at it as well, but that's how I got it. Got it. I'm not saying, I've never heard it explained that way. I think- Oh, I've never heard it explained at all until I started looking into it. Oh. Because what, what, what we are taught is that this is the way it is. See, 
I heard originally about the Electoral College and the founding of the country was similar to how we got the House of Representatives and the Senate. Mm -hmm. Big state versus small state. Mm -hmm. So the Electoral College was created to assist smaller states in getting a vote. And when there are less states, obviously less people, they all do weigh more. Mm -hmm. However, now there are all of these lovely maps I'm sure we can find for the show notes that show like LA has the same population as like 10 states. Mm-hmm. Or if you take like California, Texas, it was like California, Texas, I think New York, maybe Massachusetts. I don't remember the map, but I saw this. Oh, what did Jay went on TikTok a few days ago? <laughs> there is a map that showed like, it was like four states had the same population as all of North America. Mm-hmm. Or the rest of North America. Like four states. I just remember it was California, Texas, New York, and I guess maybe Jersey because it was the one touch in New York. Again, we're American. Geography's not our strong suit. <laughs> I'll see if we can find them out but like just to show population wise which is why in modern society this is insane we're still doing things of the electoral college when affecting like a hundred ranchers in wyoming back then would carry a lot for the industry and needed a big representation but now not so much <laughs> Like, it's insane the amount per population of some of these small states, how heavily their votes get weighed Mm -hmm. for how populated cities are. No, I definitely agree. And I'm not saying that we necessarily, like, have to make their vote count for less, but also at the same time, find a way to balance that representation. Other than the popular vote, which is where, like, my vote equals your vote equals Rancher in Wyoming's vote equals Yay is his new name. Yay's vote. (laughs) Right? Yes. Maybe find a way where if your state is heavily swinging in one way, that that actually then influences the Electoral College again. I'm for the end of the Electoral College. Or that. That could be a thing too. So yes, Electoral College, President, Democratic process-ish. And that's every four years. Mm -hmm. Presidents can have two terms, except I believe there's one president in history with three terms. Yes. Or four terms? I think he had four terms. Three or four. Definitely three, maybe four. Jefferson? No. I have a hint for if Angelica doesn't get it. Roosevelt. Which one? Teddy. Oh. True American. Franklin. JFK. New girl? Oh, FDR. (laughs) I'm trying, people. I'm really trying hard. Oh, never mind. We will talk about this after the episode. Delano. Delano. Roosevelt. Oh, it's there's no you don't pronounce the R. I always heard of Franklin Delano Roosevelt, which is why Eleanor Roosevelt confused me so much. I always thought people were like running their words together, so the R from Roosevelt was getting attached. I don't know. Live Google guys, please wait for us. Franklin Delan Delano Roosevelt. They only give me the phonetic for Roosevelt. But yeah, I've always heard it as like Franklin Delano Roosevelt. I don't know if that's because oh, what's the thing called where you, the Mandela effect, where people he, think of like FDR and Eleanor Roosevelt and they like combine. It. Oh, could be. Could be. Only president to get four terms. You typically get two. Now you get two after he had four terms. But they, I agreed to give him four because of the time period in history post depression and going into World War II. Like, but I'm good with two. I'm good with one, honestly. Senator, oh God, I used to be so much better with this. I believe senators' terms are six years and they can run they can have indefinite amounts of running i think i think house members are i know there's no senate term limit but i believe the senate term yes okay six years thank god and the house of representative yeah we haven't added term limits senators although are yeah there's a proposal to add term limits 
Am I boring you? <laughs> no, you're good. <laughs> Sorry, I got distracted. I had a pop up. That's crazy because the House of Representatives, which is the more popular big state thing, is every two years. Mm -hmm. And senators, which were the small state things, are every six years, both with indefinite term limits, I believe. Which is why we basically run states like they're little mini countries. And everything that is not determined from the Constitution, the states can do, which is how California legalized weed so much faster. And gay rights. We talked a lot about the process of voting, why we should vote, all that. Since 2020, a lot of people with these great big turnouts and with these things, a lot of people don't like that people are participating in the process. Yes. So I think it's what, since the 2020 election, it's been 19 states that have enacted new voting restrictions. So I found an NPR article which shows how voting laws have changed since the 2020 election. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine states have restricted access. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 have expanded access. 22 states have done nothing. So I read that article as well. They've either done nothing or they have mixed, or mixed no bills where they have increased some areas of access and decreased others. Mm -hmm. Open, so, mixed, or no major law changes. Like I believe Colorado already did all mail-in. Mm -hmm. So like they didn't really need to change anything because default, like this didn't do anything for their voting system. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we will definitely post that article for all of you to see if you live in a state that has been impacted by restriction. But first, do you want to go over some of the new restrictions that have been introduced? Like specific states? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was just going to read some of them out. And these impact how states vote in their, have run their own elections as well as how they run their federal elections. Some of the states that have restricted access are Arizona, Arkansas, Florida, Georgia, Iowa, Kansas, Montana, Texas, and Wyoming. In Florida, new restrictions have been put in place on ballot drop boxes. They've added in new, more strict ID requirements for mail-in voting, and they are now making voters request their mail-in ballots per election. In Georgia, they are shortening the window for voting by mail. They're at also adding in new ID requirements for mail-in voting. They've restricted the locations for ballot drop boxes, meaning they're going to have less of them. And they are also now expanding the powers of state legislators for the restrictions and qualifications that they can put on their local subdivision elections. On the pro side, Hawaii has expanded voter registration opportunities and time for ballot drop-offs. Louisiana, one law has offered new instruction on voter purges and Louisiana HB 286 extended the early voting period for presidential elections. Another measure removed hurdles to registration for people with past felony convictions. So we got things on both sides. I think there's what these laws say and then there's how they're enacted. So on the surface, like, oh, there's less ballot boxes. That's not a good thing in general, but like when you look at it to it more, certain communities have four boxes and certain communities combined get to share one box. Mm -hmm. So it's not just that there's less ballot boxes or that lines are longer but they're taking polling places out of surprise surprise minority communities mm -hmm. so in direct response to a lot of these voting restrictions two bills they were brought to congress and this that try and create real voter reform. And so I'm just gonna read you a little bit or what they had in them. One is still currently 
up for vote. The other was voted down and will possibly have to go through some amendments. But the Freedom to Vote Act, which is the one that was voted down by the Senate, was introduced by Amy Klobuchar in September of 2021, and it was put to a vote in mid-January of 2022. This bill was introduced to enact protections for voter registration and voting access, election integrity and security, redistricting, and campaign finance at a federal level, meaning that the government would be able to set the following standard for not only all federal elections, but for all states to have to comply with all subdivision elections. So specifically, this bill would expand voter registration precedents, meaning that automatic and same-day voter registration would be available for all. Voting access would be more robust with early voting and mail-in ballots for all registrants automatically, and voter roll purges would now have across-the-board limitations. This bill would also have established election day as a federal holiday, so no voter would have to go through the process of trying to request the time off or worrying about trying to meet the two-hour protected time limit. And there would now be criminal consequences for those that attempted to hinder or actually did hinder voter registration, voting, or hindering the actions of those trying to assist people to register to vote or actually vote. States would also have to conduct post-election audits for federal elections. They would have across the board criteria for congressional redistricting. And they would be subject to guidelines for campaign finance, including the prohibition of financing from foreign nationals and dark money. It's just insane that all of this is being proposed when this just should be the given. Exactly. Let, let's start with like the one that drives personally me the most insane, gerrymandering. For those of you who are unfamiliar with the term gerrymandering, that is congressional redistricting. Which means, which means that, what is a good way to explain this? Basically, it's drawing artificial lines through cities, counties, through cities and counties to decide where people get to vote and where their vote counts. Where their vote counts. The impact is that across the board throughout Austin, which is one city, that there are different like standards for government, education, life for the people who all live there. And some are really great in some areas. Some are not so great in others. Generally, the areas that are not so great have a higher density of POC inhabitants or low income inhabitants. But what does that do for their votes? When you break up a city like Austin into multiple districts, whichever one of us fact checks this, I can check on. But some states do it differently. So some states would choose to put Austin as one district because then if everyone in Austin is in one district, that, that vote, even though it's an immensely large amount of people to vote in, to vote for, it only is one small state in the overall projection of Texas. Or when they break it up, even though Austin has a population of million, when it gets diluted by all the red votes, it still doesn't count as much. I don't remember which way Austin goes, but that's kind of the thing with gerrymandering is it's either to suppress and hide votes of certain views that are in heavily populated areas or to combine them all so they only have less vote representation proportionally to other places they want to get more representation. It's just it's, crazy that whoever takes over, I don't know who in the state legislature gets to make the decision, whether it's the governor or whatever, just gets to say, oh, I'm going to just like redraw the map of this state. Mm -hmm. They can completely just redraw districts and decide where they want those lines to be. And I don't know who it was, but it was some 
some state, I'm gonna assume like Florida, Georgia, where they have it on video or on audio recording saying like, no, we have to redistrict. Why? Cause like, otherwise everyone gets to vote and like the Republican party will be gone. Mm -hmm. And so one of the even more infuriating things about this is that when these changes are made, people don't have to be informed. Depending upon the state that you're in, it may or may not be a part of their voter bylaws that they have to inform the people. You might not ever find out. You might go to cast your, like say you're going to cast your vote. You go to your regular polling place that you've always gone to. However, one year previously, you were redistricted. You were never informed. You went to the wrong polling place and your vote would just not be counted. So in addition to the Freedom to Vote Act, there was also a companion act introduced that was supposed to work with it for more on the state level. And this is the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act. Rest in power or peace. I don't know if I'm allowed to say rest in power, but rest well. Mm -hmm. So I believe this was introduced by Representative Terry Sewell, a Democrat from Alabama, in August of 2021. And this bill has passed in the House after two votes, and it is currently on its way to the Senate for another vote. But this bill establishes new criteria for determining which states and political subdivisions must obtain preclearance before changing voting practices and sets a timeline in which they would have to take effect. Preclearance would come from the Department of Justice or the US District Court. First of all, political subdivisions is just a comprehensive term for saying cities, counties, towns, parishes, anything like that that makes up your state. And I found out also includes school boards, power, water municipalities that are government run. So this could really create a lot of big change. And preclearance is when state entities, these counties, parishes, whatever, etc., they need to provide sufficient evidence for why they are making changes to voting rights. Preclearance was something that previously was across the board for all states, established by the Voting Rights Act of 1965, I believe. However, in 2013, a Supreme Court decision overruled it, overturned this is it overturned? Overruled? Because they didn't make the initial decision. They overruled this bill, this act, and decided that it was unconstitutional on the basis that states would should not need to have preclearance to make changes to their own voting systems. It's a mistake. But this bill specifically in a state and all its political subdivisions, counties, parishes, cities, townships, Wait. in this bill, they would work to rectify some of those changes. So a state county, parishes, cities, townships, whatever, they would all be bound by a period of preclearance, which would be granted for 10 year periods on the following grounds. One, in a state, ooh, any state that had 15 or more voting rights violations occurring in the past 25 years could have preclearance revoked. Any state with 10 or more violations occurring in the past 25 years, of which one or more the state itself was directly responsible for, they could have preclearance revoked. Or if a state had three or more violations occurring in the past 25 years during which the state directly administered the election, they could have preclearance revoked. Political subdivisions as a separate unit would also be subject to preclearance. States and political subdivisions would need to notify the public 
of changes to voting practices in a timely manner. And if they did not, the attorney general would be able to step in and notify the public. God damn it. Any changes outside of the pre-clearance period would be subject to audit and investigation by the Department of Justice. One other thing that I will put in the show notes for y'all because my laptop just died. The thing that just to me is so insane about this, and I know this term is overused, but I'm gonna use it anyway. These laws and things are all gaslighting us to just believe like, we shouldn't just, our vote just shouldn't count. Like that's what this does. Trying to get laws to like get put in for transparency as if like there just shouldn't be transparency. It's absolutely insane because when you think about how this is run, all of those things, they sound perfectly logical. They And they sound as if they should already be in place. And then we find out that they're not and that other people don't want us to have them. And here's the thing. A lot of these voting restrictions do disproportionately affect people of color, people who- Socioeconomic class. Yes, people of color, people of a lower socioeconomic class, people um, with less access to education, people in rural communities, pizza-gating it, people who try to push their liberal agendas. But you know, that, that was a joke. <laughs> you can cut that out if that was not funny. But the thing is, it really can go both ways. It's like you, no, like they really can go both ways. It's like if things suddenly shifted and a formerly dominant, I don't, okay, never mind. I don't know what I'm saying. I do know what I'm saying. I just don't know how to say it right now. What I'm hearing <laughs> you say is like fair voting laws would be bad and good. <laughs> no, what I'm trying to say is that unfair voting laws like can just as easily affect the people that try to put them in place. Got it. Like it's so easy for things to shift. And that so one, it's it's dumb and inhumane for you to decide that other people should not have access to these things. It's just as equally dumb for you to deprive yourself of something and then get upset when it now affects you. Essentially when filibusters were- Green eggs were and ham. Out. I do not like those Sam I <laughs> Yeah, like when filibusters were declared to be like, what is it? Was it unconstitutional or unreliable or whatever the word was they used five, six years ago? And then they brought them back a few years ago. And it was the same group of people that decided that they were unconstitutional that then decided they wanted to bring them back because they were constitutional and everyone should have the right to use them. And just to go like off very basic things of like common sense, what are y'all people afraid of if everyone can vote? <laughs> right? It's kind of reminds me of, oh, I think her name, Jane Elliott. I believe she is a strong advocate for the black community. She mm -hmm. is a teacher, I believe. She showed, a lot of her videos went viral. One of them was how our maps are all racist, like sizing and location and things. Like mm -hmm. a lot of maps used to center the United States and put the other countries around it, even though we're on a globe. And then like the sizing of states and countries was off. Anyway, she has like this one great video I love and there's a lecture. And so she's looking at an audience full of white people and she says, stand up if you would like to be treated how the, I think at the time she said African community, but how the black community is treated in this country. Guess what happened? Nobody stood up. Which proves everyone is aware of way black people are treated and the way things are happening. You know you don't want it for yourself, but you tolerate it happening to other people. Mm -hmm. And that's the same thing with these voting things. Like, why are you afraid that everyone can cast their vote? Why are you afraid to take money out of politics? Because you know like the something's wrong. Exactly. Like the fact that there has to be an actual clause in, I believe it's the Freedom to Vote Act about dark money, taking money from foreign nationals for elections and 
about the transparency needed for political action committees mm -hmm. who are accepting and accepting money and gifting money. That's something that should be automatic. PACs have filing days where all of this is supposed to be transparent. They are supposed to track these records. They are supposed to be aware of the mm -hmm. requirements for their city, county, state, whatever. I briefly, at my government job, I helped get their pack off the ground. I helped get their pack off the ground and no one there knew anything about the guidelines for setting up the pack. Are there even guidelines? There are guidelines. And what's actually really crazy, because I did a bunch of research, there, depending upon where you're located, you may have town, city guidelines, county guidelines and state guidelines that you all have to abide by and may all contradict each other. But you have to be completely aware of them and make sure that all donations that you accept are in compliance with that, otherwise you are not in compliance. But the crazy thing about it is because all of these different laws contradict each other and they are just in place. Wild, wild west. Anything can kind of go. So I set up an entirely new set of guidelines to work within all of those parameters and so many people fought me on donations and it was insane like they literally knew like they could see where i was pointing out to them all of the different guidelines and they wanted to just break them all money and politics which brings me to one of an organization i had never heard of until our lovely katniss everdeen associated herself with it a few years ago when she took a break from acting also congratulations on her new little baby represent us did you hear about this organization when she's I did not. So basically, their whole thing is to take money out of politics. Such a hot take. Take out PACs. <laughs> like, what if every candidate had to run on the same amount? Because she pointed out, we'll post the video and show notes and whatever. Basically, she was saying how every day it costs like, I'm just going to throw numbers that are easy. It costs $365,000 to run a presidential campaign. Mm -hmm. And so that's like $1,000 a day, meaning you as a person needs to run for, needs to be getting $1,000 a day for your next election once you are elected. And that takes away time from doing your job. So what's an easier way? Asking 365,000 people for a dollar or having the lovely Coke brothers who I learned and was shocked are not affiliated with Coca-Cola come over and just give you some, give you the 365,000 watts like, hey bro, like no biggie. Like I'm sure you can get are insert thing to kill the environment, kill babies, prevent people from doing voting things, and get a state pass for us when you get it. One is far easier than the other. Ridiculous. Also, if anyone is if anyone is interested in a great fictional look at PACs, super PACs, lobbyists, and elections, uh, you can watch Miss Sloan with Jessica Chastain. I have a friend who's a lobbyist. Is it a movie? Yeah, it is a it is a movie. I think it came out in 2016. Yeah, and I have a friend who's a lobbyist and she said it's so so similar to what she actually sees. So, check it out. Um, before we wrap up, quick question. Mm -hmm. Aren't lobbyists bad people? Not all of them. Explain. So, there are lobbyists who have completely sold their souls and as you said, made backhanded deals, quid pro quo where I'll give you X amount of money if you make sure to get this many senators to back my bill for my, what you call it, which I actually was approached about when I was working in government, but that's a story for another day. Um, Cause I still don't, still not sure if I can exactly talk about that, but there are lobbyists that, not to say that like, oh, 
like they work on the good side, but they work through more moral avenues mm -hmm. where they are still like heavily campaigning for something that may or may not be good for the be benefit of all people, mm -hmm. but they try to do it all above the board. When I think of lobbyists, I remember seeing videos of like lobbyists, I think it's lobbyists you just paying like homeless people to stand in the line outside of like a senator's office so like no mm -hmm. one can get in. Oh yeah, I'm sure so much so much like that happens, but that mm -hmm. and we don't hear as much about the above board ones yeah. because they're unfortunately they're not getting as much done because they're doing things above board. Yeah. All this to say, educate yourself, vote when you have the opportunity. It is a privilege in this country to vote, as Angela mm -hmm. said, for women, for people of color. Um, and there's this great website I found, which is tracker.votingrightslab.org, which gives you a, a legislative tracker check out searchable database of current bills on voting rights issue, the legislative snapshot. It shows you the matrix and kind of the process. It's kind of like a sauna for voting bills, like which ones were introduced, where are they now? First pass, second pass, veto. And it just has a lot of things. It has issues that you can sort by bills and by states and it comprehensively like, can tell you, like you can sort it by state, legislative stage, topic, bill, bill impact, policy impact, subtopic. And it's just a great thing. Like it says there's 20, oh look, it's almost like the numerology thing. There are 2,220 bills Ooh. in 45 states plus DC currently active in terms of voting rights. And I believe since we're in California, let's just see what's, um, there are 19 voting bills currently on the docket and I can't name a single one, which is a responsibility I should look into if it does come to voting on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's great. I didn't even see that one. Um, I am going to put in our show notes the states that currently are under higher restrictions where you may or may not know that you are now under a higher restriction so that you can plan for that ahead of primaries and midterm elections. And which we do, which we do have this year, November 8th, everyone. And... We've been very meta about voting on voting issues since this episode will be coming out in the next month because Angela and I are trying to do the good adulting thing of these. Currently, there are bills in Texas and Florida, anti-LGBTQ bills, abortion or lack thereof bills. Um, I think there's another bill that just got introduced in Texas. Like our episode, we tried to focus on like the act of voting and like the suppression of it and voting for voting bills. But like voting, it just, it really does affect us on all levels on everything and how mm -hmm. we want the world to be for our future and all of that stuff. And hopefully Angela and I will have a future based on the way some of these bills are going. Lord, yeah. Everyone remember, get out there, vote. Even if you go through a disenfranchised period or, or a disenchanted, <laughs> not a disenfranchised, maybe you're disenfranchised, a disenchanted period where you think that your vote's not going to count, your vote does mean something to a lot of people. So please do it. I also have a really great timeline for the history of voting rights that I'm going to put in our show notes as well, just to show you where even as recently as 2013, 2002, 1993, we have had very real bills introduced that have banded our voting rights. So please never take it for granted. Thank you for listening to this episode of In Omnia Pratis. We hope you learned something, you appreciated your right to vote, or it might encourage you to register and check out what's going on in not only federal and state, but local elections. I know in California, it just made news about a particular school board election that just went on, like elections matter for impacting 
everything. So please use your voice, especially for those who don't get to vote, whether that be children. Is undocumented still the correct term? Um, I'm going to say yes. For those, it's constantly changing. For those children, undocumented, those unable to physically register and those who have lost hope and who are tired because we can't all just stop doing this. Follow, subscribe, do the things on our website at inomniapod.com, which is mostly updated. Yay us. You can see really cute pictures of Angela and I. Um, just a few. Follow us at inomniapod on Instagram and come back next Tuesday for another wonderful episode from us. Bye. Bye.